Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. Each week seems to bring a new American economic sanction aimed at China. In the US presidential election, Donald Trump and Joe Biden seem to be competing about who can sound toughest on Beijing. But how does all this seem from China's perspective? My guest this week is Professor Steve Tsang, director of the China Institute of SOAS at London University. He's one of the leading experts on China in the UK and has written several books on the issue of Taiwan. This week, Huawei, the Chinese telecoms manufacturer, was hit with further US sanctions aimed at the company. America's announced that no firm worldwide will be allowed to sell chips to Huawei if they contain US software or equipment. Some analysts think the measure could even kill off Huawei as a company. At the same time, the Trump administration is forcing ByteDance, a Chinese firm, to sell the US operations of its popular app, TikTok. What does TikTok mean to me? A place to create without boundaries. It means being free to be created. The US has had Huawei in particular in its sights for a long time. Here's the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, justifying a previous round of sanctions against Huawei. We're working to prevent Huawei and other untrusted vendors from pre-installing or making available for download the most popular US apps. We don't want companies to be complicit in Huawei's human rights abuses or the CCP's surveillance apparatus. These commercial disputes are part of a broader strategic rivalry between Washington and Beijing. President Xi Jinping has talked of promoting a Chinese dream of national rejuvenation. Viewed from Washington, President Xi's pursuit of the China dream has seen his country become more aggressive on a range of issues, including the South China Sea, Hong Kong, the treatment of Uyghur Muslims, and Taiwan. Taiwan is effectively a self-governing nation, but China regards it as a renegade province, which it has the right to invade, and the US has gone along with Beijing's insistence that there is just one China. But in the past month, America's upgraded its ties with Taiwan. Minister Wu for welcoming me to Taiwan and for the opportunity to meet with you. By sending Alex Azar, the US Health Secretary, on a visit. The United States believes that Taiwan's accomplishments should be recognized on the world stage. And that Taiwan should be able to share these... He was the most senior American official to visit Taiwan since Washington broke off relations in 1979. The response in Beijing was fierce. Here's the foreign ministry spokesman, Zhao Li Jian, warning that China is firmly opposed to the US and Taiwan, engaging in official exchanges under any pretext. He warned that those who play with fire will get burnt. But beyond tough rhetoric, what does the Chinese government really make of what some are calling a new Cold War with America? 
That was the question I posed to Steve Tsang. I think the Chinese government does take it very seriously. I think the fact that the Chinese government is not responding as robustly as they said they would is an indication of how seriously they take it. But I would make a distinction between the US sanctions on Huawei from, say, the sanctions on TikTok. I don't think the Chinese government is so worried about TikTok. It's kind of really ironic because TikTok is a genuine private company which really is doing extremely well by global standard, top class. But then TikTok is the kind of platform that allows for the scope of messages being put forward that the Chinese government does not like some of the time. So they're not so worried about it. Huawei, in contrast, is a company that the Chinese government or the Communist Party absolutely trust and see it as a national champion that the parties would like to nurture to become a global champion. And therefore, they are much more worried about Huawei than they are of, say, TikTok. And Huawei, obviously, as you say, is crucial because it's a national champion, it's in a key technology, and so on. But more broadly, do you see and do you think the Chinese government will see this as the beginning of a kind of severance of economic ties between the US and China with great implications for the entire structure of the economy? Yes, I think they do worry about it. It is a kind of economic decoupling. Now, the reality is that even though Donald Trump was the person who formally used the term and started the process back in 2019, a bit over a year ago, Xi Jinping was the person who first prepared China for an eventual decoupling with the United States. And this is now just happening a bit earlier. If we go back, it was in 2013 that Xi Jinping issued what we now call document number nine, in which he essentially prepared the party to have some kind of a decoupling with the US eventually. And of course, the Bell and Road Initiative, and in particular, the Make in China 2025 policy was to give Chinese industry and Chinese economy the capacities to sustain rapid growth without uh, dependency on the United States. So they were preparing for it, but Trump has kind of jumped the gun and caught China by surprise, and they are not too comfortable with it at the moment. And they were preparing for it, why, do you think? Because they anticipated that at some point the United States would become more aggressive in its attitude to China, or because they thought that it was the next stage of economic development to go for something more self-sustaining and less dependent on exports? It's very much the latter. When the Chinese government started to prepare for it in the early years of Xi Jinping, basically the Western world generally, including the United States, which was of course under Obama at the time, was much more seriously engaging with China in the way that the Chinese government was comfortable with. So I don't think they were 
fearful of a turn of events into the United States, which will require them to prepare for it. I think it was very much one of Xi Jinping's idea of making China great again. And that greatness of China means that China is a leader in a whole range of things, and China cannot allow itself to be beholden to a major external power for technology, for innovation, or for economic sustainability. So they were preparing for it for domestic reasons. And as you suggest, this kind of economic reorientation, you mentioned the Belt and Road and Made in China 2025 initiatives, that refocusing to a more domestically focused model is part of a broader vision that she has for China, the great rejuvenation of the Chinese people and so on. Is part of that something else that external observers seem to see, which is that China is becoming generally more assertive in its foreign policy clashes with India, which led to Indians being killed on the border, saber-rattling with Taiwan, and in the South China Sea, tougher policy in Hong Kong. So do you think those that say there's something happening across the board in Chinese foreign policy and it's becoming more aggressive, are they right? I think they are right in some ways. In this China dream that Xi Jinping puts forward, in this great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation that he wants to secure, he is trying to recreate a China in the mythical concept of the greatness in Chinese history. In this recreation, Xi Jinping was trying to see China as the center of the world. So this attempt by the Chinese government under Xi Jinping to be much more assertive, this is a major departure from the approach that China followed in the era of Deng Xiaoping. When Deng Xiaoping was in charge and for the two leaders subsequent to Deng Xiaoping, that is of course Zhang Jimin and Hu Jintao, they were following the idea that China should hide its capabilities, hide its ambitions and wait for its moment. And when the time has come, then China will roar and require the rest of the world to pay it homage. Xi Jinping decided the moment for that has arrived in his watch. And he's asked for that, therefore, no more waiting and hiding capabilities. So once he's made that clear, then you have changes that will be permeated through the bureaucracy and hence the birth of what we now call the wolf warrior diplomats. And the incidents in India or in China's peripheral simply reflects that China now expects neighbors to respect China's dominant role. And of course, this concept of neighborhood is a flexible one. When Chinese power can reach further, then the neighborhood gets bigger. So as you suggest, there seems to have been a discernible move from the policy of hide and bide associated with Deng Xiaoping to the wolf warrior policy associated with Xi Jinping. Now, obviously, the the next question for us, we're not just observers, we're affected by it, is how much in control is this and how great are the risks she is prepared to take and the people around him are prepared to take? Because the editor of the Global Times, a nationalist newspaper, is talking openly about China's ability to 
invade Taiwan, says we could do it in 24 hours before America was able to react. How seriously should we take that kind of talk? Yes, I think we need to take the threats about Taiwan seriously, but we don't need to take it over seriously immediately. The reality is that Xi Jinping has clearly articulated a wish to take Taiwan into the fold of China before he hands over to somebody else. Now, the timing of it is determined, of course, by the fact that Xi Jinping himself has abolished terms of office for him as leader of China. So we are no longer facing a clock that is ticking down to the usual 10 years time frame. There's also the reality that for all the enormous military build-ups that China has made in the last decade or two, mostly focus on building the capability to take Taiwan. They haven't built up that capability yet. But within 20 years, I think it's reasonable to assume that they will have that capability. And when they do, they will do whatever it takes to take Taiwan if Taiwan refuses to simply accept unification with China under Xi Jinping's rule. So in that sense, we have to take it seriously, but not necessarily immediately. I don't think Xi Jinping wants to take the risk of starting a military operation over Taiwan that fails. If he should do so, he would open the door to other leaders within the Communist Party challenging him. And that would be the last thing he wants to see happen. Is there any risk of that happening anyway? I mean, of course, it's incredibly hard to tell because this is not a system that airs its problems openly. But one gets a sense that she must have created a lot of enemies through the anti-corruption drive, which has seen many powerful people lose their jobs, be sent to prison. There is now this negative turn in relations with the United States. There's been COVID-19. There are the nationalist pressures around Taiwan. How secure do you feel Xi Jinping is? Oh, at the moment, I think Xi Jinping is actually very secure, notwithstanding the very astute observations you have made in terms of the scale of unhappiness within the party leadership towards Xi Jinping on a range of issues. Those unhappiness are real, and certainly back in February and the beginning of March, when China was doing very badly coping with COVID-19 and the rest of the world not yet in dire strait, there was serious risk in China that Xi Jinping might face some kind of a challenge. Now, that phase came and go. And with first Italy and then the United States doing so badly, and now the rest of the world more generally, the Communist Party has completely rewritten history. Xi Jinping has now been able to present a very different narrative to the people of China and essentially presenting a picture that China has done incredibly well confronting COVID-19 and it is the rest of the world led by the United States which have really messed up with it. And people in China should be appreciative and grateful 
for the leadership of the Communist Party and in particular of Xi Jinping in steering China so well in this crisis. And of course, when the Chinese government embarked on this very aggressive misinformation campaign and unleashed the wolf warriors over the COVID-19 dispute and generated that pushback from various Western commentators and governments, the Chinese Communist Party was then able to use those criticisms as evidence that there is a bit of a conspiracy outside of China targeting the Chinese people because the Chinese people have done so well and therefore get people to rally around the leadership of Xi Jinping. So at the moment, in spite of all the problems with the Americans and with COVID-19, Xi Jinping is very strong and very secure. But he is also very much aware that he can also be very vulnerable. I don't think he would have forgotten the risk that manifests itself in February and early March. And therefore, he will be very vigilant to stamp out any kind of potential challenge within the party. And of course, his colleagues within the party also knows about that. So nobody is going to come out and challenge him unless they think that things have got so bad in China that Xi Jinping is fatally wounded. And so they can all come out and get him. Of course, if they can't get him or if they fail to get him, every one of them and their families will face the music. And it's not going to be a very pleasant piece of music. So that's um, the domestic situation. But as somebody observing relations between China and the outside world, how concerned are you? We've had this period where China's been deeply integrated into the global economy and had a workable political relationship with the West. Now with what's happened in Hong Kong, the tensions we've been talking about over Taiwan, the backlash against human rights abuses in Xinjiang and so on, and domestic developments in both China and the United States, it looks like a lot of things are unraveling at the same time and that it will be very hard to get back to a cooperative relationship. Is that how it looks to you? I think you have touched a very important point there, if I may say so. Something that we need to recognize and accept with the Communist Party in the last 30 years or so was that after the Beijing Mexico of 1989 and the collapse of communism elsewhere, the Communist Party in China did change. And one of the things that happened was that they were increasing the scope of internal policy debates. And therefore, the party was able to avoid making major policy mistakes for over two decades after 1989-1990. What changed under Xi Jinping was that he closed the scope for internal policy debate, and particularly after the 19th Party Congress of 2017, when he consolidated his power and became clearly the supreme leader in China. Now, you don't have officials or senior members of the government in the Politburo or the Politburo Standing Committee challenging a policy position that Xi Jinping has made. And we are now beginning to see the kind of result of that. You mentioned about Hong Kong. 
I think Hong Kong is arguably a major policy mistake on the part of the Chinese government. The protests that engulfed Hong Kong last year in 2019 was a result of a bad Chinese policy being imposed on Hong Kong. And in the end, it was escalating into a situation that effectively Chinese government has ended the one country, two systems model. And the tension with the United States again has been so badly handled that it escalated out of control at a scale and at a pace faster than what the Chinese government would have liked to see. Again, that is a kind of a policy mistake. And likewise, the Chinese government much prefer to engage with Taiwan in a way to tie Taiwan into the Chinese economic nexus to the extent that Taiwan eventually will see the benefits of unification. And in contrast, the policy under Xi Jinping has the opposite effect. Taiwan is getting much more worried about China's approach. And I think a lot of this happened because the Communist Party closed down the scope for internal policy debates and therefore the capacity for it to avoid making mistakes. Now, if that is right, then moving forward, the risk of the party getting things wrong will be higher. And the incentive of Chinese diplomats and senior officials telling the government, the top leader, inconvenient truth becomes much more difficult to happen. And the Chinese government will not get the accurate and timely information it will need to avoid making major policy mistakes. This is not a good thing for China or for the world. Well, we'll leave it with that rather ominous thought. But Steve, thank you so much. That was really fascinating. You're welcome. That was Professor Steve Tsang of London University ending this edition of the Rachman Review. Please join us again next week. You can find us in all the usual podcast apps. At Airbus, we bring the world together. Our aircraft connects communities, facilitating cross-cultural communication. Our satellite technology enables communication across the world and allows us to explore space, expanding human knowledge to create a better future on Earth. At Airbus, we're pioneering sustainable aerospace for a safe and united world. Learn more at Airbus.com.